You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Tim. Uh, I'm the Senior Minister here at St John's and it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, we're doing this uh, Peacemaker series uh, over a few weeks and in the very first week that we did this series, um, I tried to go through all of the different types of conflict that we might face in our lives and show that I could find pretty much a biblical example of how that sort of conflict takes place in the Bible and I challenged people to come up with an example of conflict that we face that you can't find in the Bible. And so someone came up to me straight after the service and said, road rage. Um, And so I'm going to talk about road rage tonight and show you how kind of Jesus does deal with road rage as well. So here's here's an article uh, that appeared in The Age. Uh, It's going back a little way now, but it's still very relevant. Children were arriving at Finden Primary School in Mill Park as a man in his 40s, we'll call him Steve, uh, sat waiting for the lollipop lady to usher the last of the stragglers across the road. The man in the car behind Steve, however, kept honking his horn. After they moved off, Steve pulled over to let the impatient driver pass him, but instead the young man stopped, got out of his car, yelled at Steve, stabbed him twice, and then fled. Steve was rushed to hospital in a serious condition and had to undergo surgery. His 20-year-old attacker gave himself up to the police and later faced the Melbourne Magistrates Court. Each time a road rage report such as this hits the news, the more mild-mannered motorists among us are left trying to fathom just what sort of screwed-up neural circuitry leads one driver to stab another, set their pit bulls on each other, as occurred in Perth last month, or engage in assorted other violent acts. Most of us have tooted our horn at the twit who sits gazing into space long after the light has turned green, or flashed our lights at the smug bastard in the beamer who pushes in and nearly takes out our bumper bar. But surely there's a difference between letting off a bit of steam with a few four-letter words and shooting someone, smashing their windscreen to smithereens, or using a steering lock to bash their brains out. Um... It's a bit disturbing, isn't it, when you read these sorts of things? Uh, This is an older article, but I was looking on um, uh, the internet this last week and saw a video footage of a guy actually punching another motorist uh, nearby, so it still happens all the time. Uh, And when you read that sort of stuff, if you're like me, you sort of shake your head and say, exactly like this journalist says, what sort of screwed up neural circuitry leads one driver to stab another? What's wrong with these people? And we kind of distance ourselves from these people who do this. Uh, Maybe we say thank you to God that we're not like them. And yet, as the article points out, most of us have tooted our horns at other people or sworn at them out loud or under our breath or at the very least sort of fumed away uh, silently because of the way people have behaved on the road. I confess that just this last week, uh, as a car cut in front of me outside Diamond Valley College. Um, I expressed some very choice words that came out of my mouth um, as I was driving home from church this past week. But surely there is a difference between letting off a bit of steam with a few four-letter words 
and shooting someone, smashing their windscreen to smithereens or using a steering lock to bash their brains out. I didn't do any of those latter things, you'd be pleased to, to know. But does that mean that I can be let off scot-free? Well, this passage in um, Matthew 5, which Teresa read to us, is challenging because Jesus actually says to us some things about road rage. I mean, he's riding before cars were invented. Uh, he's riding before there was such a thing as road rage. Uh, but what he says here actually applies in this area of how we drive and how we behave on the roads, as well as a stack of other areas uh, in our lives. So uh, we've been doing this Peacemaker series, just to let you know where we're up to. We've got the next slide there. We've been looking at this kind of wheel, thinking about a process that we might go through as we think about conflict. Uh, firstly, we talked about the fact that in the midst of conflict, we want to be conscious that God is with us, that God sees what we, what we do. And we want to glorify God. We want God to have honour. We want to behave in a way that God would be happy with. Uh, So we talked about glorifying God in conflict. Secondly, we talked about getting the log out of our eye or the plank out of our eye, that when we're in the midst of conflict, we need to look at ourselves before we start picking faults with other people. We need to ask the question, uh, are there things that I need to address within myself which is contributing to this conflict? And is there some part that I need to take ownership for and apologise for in this conflict? Thirdly, last week, uh, Kirk said um, we need to gently restore other people. So Jesus encourages us to go one-on-one with other people if they've done the wrong thing, if they've sinned. Um, And the goal is not to win an argument, but to win the other person, to help them to see what they've done uh, so that they might be restored Uh, gently into relationship, uh, and to do that in a way which is respectful, which is generous, and which is gentle. Uh, And so that brings us to the last of our uh, four Gs. You might notice that they all start with G. Um, Go and be reconciled. Okay, This is where the rubber hits the road. Will we actually restore the relationship with the other person? That's what reconciliation means. It's about restoring a relationship which has been broken. Uh, Will we do that? the end of the day. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to page 786. Uh, There's blue Bibles in the seats around you uh, because I want to have a look at this uh, in a bit of detail from Matthew 5, uh, starting at verse 21. So in verse 21, uh, Jesus says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Uh, So Jesus is actually quoting from the Ten Commandments here. The people long ago that he's referring to are the people of Israel, uh, God's uh, people, the nation of Israel, uh, who were gathered around uh, the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, where God gave his commandments to Moses on the stone tablet, uh, and it was then passed on to the people. Because Jesus is quoting uh, the sixth of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. The second part of what Jesus says there about being subject to judgment, it's not a direct quote from the Old Testament, it's more a gist of what the Old Testament law teaches, that if you murder someone, right, there's consequences for that, there's, there's judgment that follows. Okay, So far so good, Jesus is, is quoting the Old Testament. But then what Jesus does in verse 22 is quite stunning. But I tell you. Okay, so God has given these commands, right? God has said, here is how I want you to behave. And Jesus says, you know, God said that, but here's what I'm telling you. 
Okay, That's pretty stunning, isn't it, for someone to stand up and to quote God and say, but let me tell you uh, what I think and what you should do. It's clear that Jesus has a pretty high opinion of himself. Uh, And if you're here and you're investigating Jesus, uh, Jesus does this sort of thing all the time. Uh, That people try and write Jesus off and just say, look, he was just a wise teacher who had some good things to say. But you can't look at the sorts of things Jesus says and say he's just an ordinary guy saying some things. He's taking God's words here and he's saying, but here, let me interpret them for you and let me tell you what is really being said here. Um, If he's not the son of God, as he claims to be, uh, what he's doing here is just uh, arrogant. So Jesus uh, says, um, here's what I tell you. Okay, And he's not trying to say, the Old Testament law doesn't matter, I'm getting rid of that, because a few verses earlier um, in uh, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus has said, I haven't come to abolish the Old Testament law to get rid of it, I've come to fulfill it. So what he's doing here is he's showing you what the Old Testament laws here were really about. And he goes on to say that it's not just about whether you actually kill somebody, it's not just about these actions that you might undertake, it's more than that, it extends this commandment to the words that we speak. Uh, If you call someone rude names like uh, raka, which basically um, I think literally means like stupid head or uh, something like that, you you know, like calling someone an idiot or if you call them a fool. Um, Or, he says, it's also about the angry thoughts that we have about other people. Um, Not just killing people, but having such a hatred for people that we wish they were dead sort of thing. Jesus is saying, when God gave that command, do not murder, it wasn't just don't kill people, and if you haven't killed somebody, you can tick the box and say, phew, you know, I've completely done what God wants me to do. It's also about angry words that we speak and angry thoughts that we hold on to in our hearts, holding up anger in our heart, resentment in our heart, um, and sticking with those things and refusing to do anything about it. So Jesus is saying, not just your actions, okay, don't just look at the actions that you do, but you actually need to go deeper inside yourself when you're looking at what God's telling us to do, to watch the words that you speak to other people, and also the thoughts that you're harboring inside your own heart. Jesus is sort of pushing us and saying what God wants of us is deeper than just avoiding wrong actions. It's also about our words and our thoughts and what's going on in our hearts. So again, let's go back to that article where it says, but surely there's a difference between letting off a bit of steam with a few four-letter words and shooting someone, smashing their windscreen to smithereens or using a steering lock to bash their brains out. Uh, Yes, there is a difference between those things. But Jesus is saying, don't let yourself off too lightly though. God is also interested in our angry thoughts and in our angry words and he wants us to do something about those as well. Uh, How does that apply to you? Okay, Maybe it's a direct application. Maybe um, driving is a real area where you can get uh, angry and frustrated. I confess that the normally mild-mannered minister that you see before you uh, can sometimes get pretty riled up when driving a car. Um, the sporting field's are the other area for me. That's often a problem, and that might be the same for you too. But where are the areas in your life that you are susceptible to anger and to maybe speak words that you think, where did that come from um, as it comes out of your mouth? 
Um, Anna and I have just uh, spent two days in Adelaide, uh, the last um, uh, two, uh, two days, running a marriage enrichment retreat for um, 13 couples, all of whom are ministers in Adelaide. Um, and it's interesting, it was all about conflict, actually. We we're dealing about conflict in relationships. Um, and the thing is, within marriages or within families, um, parents, like with your parents and stuff, those close relationships that we live in all the time, it's really easy for conflict to just brew and develop, for us to suppress things and have angry thoughts in our hearts um, and never deal with them. Uh, and this is a challenging teaching by Jesus to say, look, if we're harbouring these thoughts of bitterness, of anger in our hearts, if we're speaking words which are tearing other people down, God cares about those things. It's not just about the actions and avoiding murdering people, but dealing with the depth in our heart. Uh, what's the challenging area for you? What's the thing going on for you that Jesus is speaking to you about tonight in terms of the thoughts that you have or the words that you're speaking? What is it that you need to deal with? Uh, but Jesus has uh, more to say than this. Uh, yes, the command not to murder extends beyond our actions to our words and our thoughts. But Jesus doesn't want us just to avoid the negative, okay? Get rid of angry actions, get rid of angry words, get rid of angry thoughts, and you're sorted. No, Jesus actually wants us to do positive things as well, to replace the negative actions, the negative thoughts, the negative words. Um, with positive things. This is often the way that the Bible works, actually. It's not just about don't do, but it's avoid doing certain things and instead put on the positive things. Uh, so Paul, um, writing later in the, in the New Testament, uses this language of clothes. It's like take off the dirty set of clothes um, with like anger and hatred and resentment and bitterness. Take off those things but put something else on, put on love and compassion and humility and gentleness. And the Bible often talks like this. It's not just about don't, don't, don't. It's about take those things off, but put the positive things on. Replace the negative actions with really positive, proactive and helpful things. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. After challenging us about our actions, our words and our attitudes, he gives two positive examples. Uh, one's in verses 23 to 24 and the other one's in uh, 25 and 26, about how you should proactively seek reconciliation with people. Don't just avoid thinking bad thoughts, but restore the relationship and be reconciled. I'm going to deal mainly with the one in verses 23 and 24, which says this. Therefore, right, it's the consequence of what Jesus has just said. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So the image Jesus has um, is uh, an Israelite with their, their gift at the temple. So the temples at Jerusalem used to take an animal like a sheep or some other animal and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, And that was the way that the people of Israel were in right relationship with God, that they'd offer these sacrifices um, and that would be about restoring the relationship with God. And they took it very seriously, right? This was a big deal uh, doing this. But Jesus is saying, okay, you're there, you're, you're heading up to the, the altar where you're going to offer this sacrifice at the temple. You've got your live animal with you and you suddenly remember that there is someone who's holding something against you. Maybe you've done the wrong thing or 
you know, they're upset at you for a reason. Don't just keep carrying on offering your sacrifice, dealing with your relationship with God. You actually need to stop what you're doing, leave this live animal at the temple, um, or tuck it under your arm. No, he says leave it, leave it there, right? And go and be reconciled, restore the relationship with this other person. Now add this into the mix. Jesus, when he's giving this teaching, is probably teaching in Galilee, which is about 80 kilometers away from Jerusalem. So what he's probably saying is, if you're there at the temple in Jerusalem with your gift, and you remember that someone back home 80 kilometers away has something against you, leave the animal behind, head back all the way home 80 kilometers, and deal with the relationship. It's about a priority here, about dealing with the stuff that's going on in our relationships with other people. Now, this is a challenge for us, or it should be, because the setting that Jesus is speaking about here is a religious setting, okay? He's talking to Christian people. He's using the language of a sister or a brother who has something against you, and it's the context of doing a religious thing, going to the temple, right? We're here doing a religious thing. We're we're sitting and we're worshipping God. And it's... It should put on the agenda for each one of us our relationships with other people in the Christian community. Okay? Because it's easy to have a break in relationship with someone else in the Christian community and yet just just bury it and not deal with it and come and we sing our songs to God and we pray our prayers to God and we, we listen to the Bible read and 10 metres away is a brother or sister who has something against us. Now, notice those words in verse 23. Uh, Jesus says, it's a brother or sister who has something against you. Uh, Last week when Kirk spoke to us, uh, the passage there, Jesus was saying, um, if someone has sinned, you need to go to them one-to-one. So that was Jesus speaking about someone else who'd done the wrong thing. Okay, They'd sinned maybe against you. There'd been a conflict where they'd done the wrong thing. Or maybe they just sin generally or against someone else. And Jesus was saying, if they've sinned, you need to go one-to-one and you need to speak to them. Okay. Here, he's saying, okay, there's a brother or sister and they've got something against you. You've done the wrong thing. Or maybe you don't think you have done the wrong thing, but they sure think you do. They've got something against you. right? So it's flipped it round. What does Jesus say? Go and talk to them about it. You need to go and talk to them about it. Now, often our attitude is, well, if they've got a problem with me, they better come and talk to me about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. If they've got the problem with me, they can can come and talk to me. But Jesus says, no, if you know there's an issue between you, if you know that they've got something against you, stop what you're doing. Stop carrying on your religious practice and go and talk to this other person about it. You need to go and reconcile the relationship with them. So let me ask you, do you know that there is someone else who has something against you? Jesus' challenge is, don't just let it slide, but you need to go and talk to them about it. Jesus doesn't pretend that this will be easy, right? Leaving a live animal Walking 80 kilometres back home to deal with a conflict is not easy. It's just easy to go, forget it, I'll just carry on with what I'm doing 
and I'll deal with that later. But Jesus says the priority is actually the relationship. Then you come and deal with God after that. Jesus isn't pretending it's going to be easy, and it won't be, but it is important. It's a spiritual matter, Jesus says, and it's got to take priority. So again, let me ask you, is there someone here that you're in conflict with? Jesus is saying, don't just suppress the anger, make sure that you don't swear at them, uh, and make sure you don't kill them, um, although all of those things are good. Avoid the negative, but also take the positive. Be reconciled with the brother or sister. So what does it look like? Right? We've, we've said, okay, go and be reconciled, but what does reconciliation look like? Right, it's about restored relationship, but how do you do that? How... How do you restore a relationship? Jesus doesn't explain it here, um, but there's lots of stuff about this uh, through the Bible. Reconciliation is going to involve people owning the wrong things that they've done, so it's going to involve repentance, acknowledging the wrong things that we've done, and actually apologising for the wrong thing that we've done uh, in a conflict. And a few weeks back, I talked about making a good apology, the sorts of ways that when we recognise we've done something wrong, the way we need to apologise. So that's one side of it, taking responsibility for the wrong we've done and apologising for it. But then what do you do when an apology is made or where someone asks, um, admits that they've done wrong? What's the response? The other side of reconciliation is forgiveness, right? So there has to be repentance, acknowledging wrong, apologising, but then there's got to be forgiveness that follows in order for the relationship to be restored. So I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness because um, we get it wrong and it's not a simple thing. We talk a lot about forgiveness in church but forgiveness is not easy. It's very, very hard and I think we have some wrong ideas sometimes about forgiveness. So I'm going to say some things that you've, you've heard me say this before perhaps but I think it's worth repeating because we get this wrong. So I want to say a few things about what forgiveness isn't before I say what forgiveness is. So the first thing to say is that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's actually a decision that we make. So we might not feel like forgiving another person. Um, the feeling of sort of uh, love for the other person or kind thoughts might not be there. Uh, we might still feel angry and we might still hurt, feel hurt, even though they've apologised to us. Um, but forgiveness is not about... We need to wait until we feel like it to forgive other people because that might not come. It's actually a decision that we make. And ironically, when we make the decision to forgive, often the feelings then change in response to the decision that we've made to forgive another person. So forgiveness is not a feeling. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, often we link those two things together, don't we? We say, oh, forgive and forget. Right? But forgetting is, is, is passive. Forgetting is things slipping out of our memory as, as time passes. But forgiveness is more of an active process. Right? It's a conscious and deliberate course of action. So in the Bible, um, Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says that when God forgives us, God remembers your sins no more, that God remembers your sins no more. Now, that's not saying that God can't remember your sins. I mean, God is God. God knows everything. 
It's not like God goes, oh, I forgot that you know Tim had done all that stuff. Yeah, it slipped from my memory. No, you're not saying he can't remember. It's that he chooses not to remember. Um, chooses not to hold those things against us. Chooses not to bring them up. Chooses not to just recount them and bring them back um, to use them against us. So it's not about forgetting. You might remember very well what this other person has done for you, but forgiveness is about actively uh, setting those things aside. Thirdly, forgiveness is not about excusing what the other person has done. So often when someone says, sorry, what's our response? That's okay. Or don't worry about it. Okay? But the whole point of an apology, the whole point of someone saying that they've done the wrong thing is that it's, it's actually not okay that they did it. And it is something that we're worried about and should worry about. So the very fact that forgiveness is needed and given is that the thing was, was wrong and it was inexcusable. So forgiveness is really about saying, you and I both know that you did the wrong thing. There was no excuse for what you did, but I forgive you for it. In fact, um, the word for forgiveness in the Bible, and this is what forgiveness actually is, if you want to skip down a few there, Nick, uh, is that forgiveness is about letting go or releasing the other person. It often is used, this word for forgiveness in the Bible, about if someone's got a debt, that that debt gets paid or gets cancelled. Okay, So by forgiving someone, you're actually releasing them uh, from the debt that is owed you because they've wronged you. Now that doesn't mean that there might not still be consequences for what they've done. Remember when we talked about making an apology, there might still be um, stuff that you need to do to fix up what's been done. It's not saying that, but it's saying that you're, you're actually releasing the person um, from the guilt that is against them by forgiving them. So if you refuse to forgive someone, you're refusing to release them from that debt and what you do is you keep trying to extract the debt from the other person. So you, you punish them. Maybe you punish them by being cold and standoffish. Uh, maybe you punish them by giving up on the relationship, by inflicting emotional pain on them, by gossiping about them, by lashing out at them or seeking revenge against them. Uh, and often we try and make ourselves feel good because we want them to keep paying for what they've done. But actually... I mean, we probably are harming them and hurting them and making them pay, but we're also hurting ourselves when we do that because we're not releasing what has happened. Um, and uh, this guy, Thomas Cha uh, Chambers, uh, once said that unforgiveness is the poison that we drink hoping others will die. So we keep holding on to this unforgiveness. I'm not going to release this other person I'm not going to let them go because that's going to hurt them, but it's actually like drinking poison because of the damage that it does to us by refusing to let these things go. So the alternative is to make a conscious decision to release the other person through forgiveness. And in a process, you release yourself in trying to extract that payment from them. So forgiveness is about making that decision to release them despite their wrong. No one's pretending that forgiveness is easy. Uh, but we're called by Jesus to be reconcilers, to be reconciled with each other, to avoid uh, harboring up anger and bitterness and resentment in our hearts.
Um, Forgiveness and reconciliation is something that we do as Christian people because it's kind of who we are as Christian people. The whole point of being a Christian is not that you, you're a good person who do, does lots of good things. Being a Christian person is that you're a forgiven person. Jesus' death on the cross takes our sin upon himself and restores the relationship that we need to have with God. So Jesus forgives us by his death on the cross. He restores us, reconciles us with God through his death on the cross. And so it's kind of part of our identity as who we are to be reconcilers and forgivers as followers of Jesus. It's highly countercultural to forgive people and it's a powerful expression of our Christian faith. To show you how countercultural it is, I want to show a video uh, to finish. Uh, you might remember about two years ago, um, June 2015, a 21-year-old um, white supremacist by the name of Dylan Roof um, walked into an, an African-American church in Charleston and opened fire trying to kill as many black people as he could. Uh, he killed nine people, nine church members, including the senior, senior pastor of the church, uh, and he injured one other person. And at his bond hearing, there was an opportunity for the victim's families to speak to him, to speak some words at his trial. Um, and this little video has a compilation of some of the things that they said to him. So we're going to play the video and then I'm going to pray. Jesus, we can't um, read your teaching and pretend that it's easy. Uh, it's incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging. Um, and yet we want to be followers of you and put these things into practice. So we ask, uh, we ask that you would help us to be people who uh, take the wrong things that we do seriously, that we would be willing to repent, to turn away from the wrong things we've done and to apologise uh, to those that we uh, have hurt and are hurting. And we pray that you would help us to be people of forgiveness and reconciliation, that we would be willing to forgive those who have wronged us, as difficult as that might be, and to restore relationships that have been broken. Uh, we pray that especially within this church community, that if there are people that uh, we are not in good relationship with, that we need to deal with, that you would challenge us about who they are and what we need to do. Uh, we pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon us to give us the strength that we need, to give us the conviction, the courage of conviction that we need to do something about us. And we pray that you'd give us the wisdom and the grace that we need to know what words to speak and how to deal with it with that other person. Uh, we do want to live differently, Jesus, because you've forgiven us. And so we ask for your help and your strength uh, as we do that. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, I'm conscious that I've raised some hard stuff tonight. Uh, we are going to have Q&A. Uh, so if you've got questions, you can either text them in uh, or you can ask them from the floor and it would be great to talk more and deal with those. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.